Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we welcome special guest Stacy Cooligan. Stacy spent over 20 years as a contracting officer in several Department of Defense agencies, and now she works on the industry side. In this episode, Kevin and Stacy talk about the pros and cons of responding to the government's formal requests for information. Our sponsor today is Skyway Acquisition. If you're frustrated with your progress in the government market, Skyway's team of former contracting officers helps their customers of all sizes to move faster, win more contracts, and manage the contracts they have more effectively. Go to askskyway.com to learn more. Okay, let's get started with Kevin and Stacy's conversation about RFIs. Well, many people use the term RFI, request for information, and sources saw it. They use them interchangeably, but they're actually two different things. And there's an entire podcast about each one of them. But for this podcast, we'll focus on just the RFI, just the request for information. Some companies view RFIs as an opportunity to submit their capability statements to every single buyer. And others view it as a great opportunity to market their company. But the best approach lies somewhere in between those extremes. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. It's in between these two bumpers. Well, let's take a look at the value of responding to an RFI from both the buyer's and the seller's perspective is what we'll talk about on this episode. But first, I want to say thanks. And thanks this week to Ken Myers from Protivity. He likes and shares our content on LinkedIn. He actually scheduled a call with me on the, uh, the AskSkyway.com site to give the feedback on the podcast. And the insight that I get from talking to actual podcast listeners is one of the main reasons our podcast keeps getting better. Because people tell me what we're doing well and what we're doing not so well, and I can tweak those. So thanks, Ken Myers, for taking the time to give me your feedback. All right, back to RFIs. So what is an RFI? Let's start with that. So the book answer is that a RFI, it's a form of market research, and it's, it's considered an early exchange of information with industry. That's the book answer. In fact, FAR 15201 E as an echo says, RFIs may be used when the government does not presently intend to award a contract, but wants to obtain price, delivery, other market information or capabilities for planning purposes. Responses to these notices are not offers and cannot be accepted by the government to form a binding contract. In other words, there's no required format for RFIs, but they're usually issued by federal agencies you know, through FedBizOps and you can find them on advanced search function. They're pretty easy to find. It's an opportunity to educate the government that you are capable of doing the work because they're trying to find out who can actually do this, right? Well, there's no guarantee an RFP will ever come to fruition, but that's the intent of most of them, right, Stacy? Absolutely. So did you ever release an RFI, Kevin, that you didn't think would be an RFP? Yeah, it's funny. I, I can't imagine why I would do an RFI for the fun of it, right? It's like the, you expect that it's going to give you information that you're going to turn into a contract. So while the FAR says... Yeah, it's it's not going to generate. In fact, how does it, it does not presently intend to award a contract? It doesn't mean that they don't intend to award one eventually. I mean, the purpose of an RFI is to eventually award a contract. Exactly, that's the whole intent. Yeah, so that that kind of goes to the point of why it's so important to respond because I'm not doing this because I'm just curious. <laughs> it's like my customer <laughs> wants to know who can actually do this work. Well, let's talk about when, what time zone we're in. So in the acquisition time zones, we're in the market research zone. This is where the government's trying to figure out who can actually do the work, what's the acquisition strategy going to be, all those things. And if you have not listened to the acquisition time zone episode, it's episode number three. Okay, well, why is this so important? Why are RFIs important, Stacey? Like, what do they, what do they mean? 
So when the government issues an RFI, they're looking for something. They're trying to determine, so what's in the realm of possibilities? In other words, can industry provide the required supplies and services? They also want to know how much it's going to cost. They've got a certain budget, and if the price is going to be too high, then they're not going to be able to afford it, so there's no point in starting out then. They also want to know how long it's going to take. They know when they need it, so they need to find out how long it'll take to get it. They also need to know who could do the work. They don't necessarily know every vendor that's out there, so they want to find out what the competition can be because they want to be able to determine whether they can set it aside or not. When they're doing the set aside, they also have to consider the rule of two, which is FAR 19.502B, but that's a whole separate podcast that we could get into in another day. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's a rabbit hole we're not going to go down. Basically, the rule of two says what exactly in, in a sentence? So the government is trying to determine if there are two small businesses capable of doing the work at a fair, reasonable price. Okay, that's the rule of two. Well, back to the RFI piece here. So, so the government's not only interested in what companies are capable of performing, but they also want to know what companies are likely to respond. I mean, like, are they actually going to send me a proposal? How many people are going to do that? Well, I think if the people take the time to respond in the manner that the government's asking, they're interested as opposed to just dropping their CAPE statement. Okay. So the CAPE statement, that's funny. <laughs> that's, government, that's government CEO lingo. That was good stuff. So, <laughs> so if somebody replies to an RFI and they just give me their blanket marketing product, I'm not going to think they're going to respond to a RFP. But if they take the time to answer all my questions and say, yes, this is what I'm capable of doing, you should set this aside as a small business for, I don't know, women who are small business, whatever. Now you're thinking they're likely to respond. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Well, why does the government care about requests for information? Kevin, as a contracting officer, it's important to know what's available in the marketplace and who's capable of doing the work. If I don't know your company exists, I may not even have the opportunity to set it aside. I may consider going sole source, not knowing that you're out there and able to play the part. I also may not know that the technology is on the verge of changing and that I'm investing in something that'll be outdated and obsolete before I can even make an award. Yeah, I've done that before. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, one of the biggest issues I've seen is companies that don't take the time to respond to the RFI, but yet when the RFP is issued and it's issued as full and open competition, They call me all upset because they know that there's other small businesses that are capable of doing the work and they don't understand why I can't set it aside now. Yeah, I actually had, um, you can hear me kind of stumbling a bit because I had one of those where they sent me their marketing info. They said like it was, it was for um, a systems engineering contract and they sent us our marketing info in response to the RFI. They were a small business and I thought they were just mailing it in saying, oh, yeah, we can do staffing, which is kind of what I read from the way they sent us our info. I didn't realize that this is actually what they do because their RFI didn't, their, their response to the RFI didn't really tell me that. Well, fast forward, you know, six months and it goes out as full and open and they come back just like frothing over the fact that it wasn't a small business set aside. And they said, we sent you an RFI. I'm like, well, you did, but it, it could have been anybody. I mean, it was, it was your marketing. It was just, you know, it's like, it basically just said, go to my website and hope you find what you're looking for. And the difference between that and giving me the real detail that I can then use with the small business specialist to go to the program manager to say, this is a small business set aside. Here are the 15 reasons why. That's a different argument. And yeah, you raise a really good point that if I don't know, I can't do that afterward. I can't go back and change after RFP release. I can't, well, I can, but I'm not going to go back and change it to a small business set aside because then all those large businesses that want to bid are going (laughs) to jump all over me. So it, it, the time to do this is during the RFI stage. 
The problem is that these other firms, they didn't take the time or see the value of responding. So they decided just, oh, I'm just going to wait until the RFP comes out and then bid then. And that becomes a problem in and of itself because now they've lost the opportunity to be recognized as a source and have the procurement set aside. And it's too late to change the acquisition strategy. So you don't want to be that guy. Yeah, it's, yeah, that guy is in quotes because we've all, pretty much every CEO has gotten the email from that guy or that company. <laughs> it's like, oh, what do you mean you didn't set this aside for my little micro niche that I'd never told you about? Yeah, it, it can be frustrating. There's an episode that we did, it was called uh, What's What's Worth Fighting For? And we talked uh, with Shelly and Steve, who are two former CEOs, just like Stacy is, that are also on the Skyway team. And in that episode, we talked about one of the things that you can't, it's not worth fighting for is getting it set aside for a small business or not set aside after the RFP comes out. And what you're saying, Stacy, is that this is the time to have that fight. This is why, or have that conversation. I'll be more positive because if you, if you don't bring it up, we, we just, we, we can't back up the bus. Well, what if your government customer, like our, you know, the, the user, the person that needs the service or product, what if they say, well, there's only one company that can do this. So you don't need to do an RFI. Well, then it goes back to let's put an RFI out to validate or invalidate that premise. We want to put it out there and see if there are the sources that can do it and just really know and understand if they truly are the only source that's capable of doing something. We actually had an example of that with one of our customers where their product is actually should be a sole source because they're the only ones that do it. However, it's a commercial product. And the acquisition strategy that through, through the communication with the government, we helped the government understand what was the justification and approval going to look like. And they said, okay, well, rather than go down this path of getting a JNA approved, let's go out to the market, do an RFI and say, who else can do this? And lo and behold, it is a commercial product, but they're the only one that has one that meets the capability. It meets the requirement that's needed. And so instead of doing a JNA, now they just did an RFI and they're awarding a what's effectively a competed contract. It's just that there's only one company that really competes at that level and the requirement was set to that level. And that process, the RFI process, in this case, shortcuts all the headache that come from justification and approval, but also got things done faster. And of course, in the end, our client then gets a contract. <laughs> so it's, it's all good. So let's back up for a second. So what does an RFI look like exactly? There's no real standard required format but the government will typically tell you what they want and how they want it presented. So now is not the time for someone to get creative or be completely generic. So the submission requirements are an important piece of the response because it makes the data easier for the government to analyze. And it gives me insight to whether you're paying attention to details. So if you're not following the instructions in the RFI, you're likely not going to follow the instructions later. And it could be, it could be seen as an early sign that you're not detail oriented and that's never a good thing because the government will remember that later if you do submit a proposal. And I like your point about don't be too creative, but don't be too generic. It's, like, it's the Goldilocks principle of not too much, not too little, it's just right. You don't have the time as a contractor to do just right unless you're targeting. That's why targeting is so important. You can't reply to every RFI unless you're too generic and you just basically like you know, email spam everybody. But if you focus on just one and get super creative and like, oh, I know this customer's requirement better than they do. Now you're too creative and you're not actually giving us what we need. So in between those two is an art, which is, again, why a lot of our customers ask us to help with RFI responses. Well, let me flip to the industry side. Why does industry care about this? Well, industry cares because they want the government to issue the RFP. They, they want the RFP to come out in a way that they can actually win it. 
the RFI provides an opportunity to influence what should go into the RFP so that companies can win it, right? Because it allows you to influence the technical scope, the contract type, the contract vehicle, what kind of the, the overall acquisition strategy, to be honest. I mean, in addition to providing a response to the questions that the government asks, it's also an opportunity to provide answers to questions they didn't ask. And Stacey, you had mentioned earlier that there may be some technology that's on the verge of being obsolete. As a contracting officer, I can guarantee you that's pretty likely. I don't know that because my job isn't tracking the technology, but it's pretty likely or potential that the customer doesn't either. And so those are the things that we may have missed to say that, oh, you, we should use you know, C plus, you should use Fortran for this software and industry's like, no, dude, that's not going to work. And here's why. We may not know that. So that's a really good point of what didn't the government ask? That's something else you can put in into your RFI response. And from an industry perspective, it's a chance to influence the potential for a small business set aside. We're back to that whole idea. This is the window. It, it, either you convince them to do it as a sole source, depending on, on the circumstances and the requirement, or you convince them to do it as a small business, or you convince them not to do it as a small business. But during this RFI response window is when you do that, because it limits the amount of competition in a way that favors industry. Instead of competing with everybody on the planet, you want to be able to limit the pool. And so, so does the government. I want to limit the pool. I don't want 500 proposals. I want like three. Well, if there's only 15 companies on the list that could actually do this, I'm more likely to get three versus if there are you know, any company out there can bid, I end up getting swamped. Since it's part of the capture process and it's continuous, it helps to build relationships. So responding to the RFI provides you an opportunity to introduce your company to new buyers during the planning phase. And if you've done work with the agency before, you're going to be able to showcase those successes provides that opportunity for you. It also will help you identify the decision makers for future capture efforts because it's part of the RFI. So then you will have that person's contact information. So when you say the capture process is continuous, what do you mean by that? It's ongoing. People need to do it all the time in order to build the relationships and continue to get ahead of FedBizOps for opportunities. That is a really awesome point. We're going to cover that. In other episodes, but I really like how you point out that capture process is continuous. In fact, that should be a title of one of these episodes, is that it's not about, well, when the RFP comes out or when the RFI comes out, then I'll start paying attention. And by waiting until it shows up on FBO and FedBizOps, that's what you're doing. So I, li- I like your point of, of capture process being continuous. Well, rabbit hole. <laughs> we'll come back to that. We got lots of rabbit holes in this episode. All right, so let's, let's wrap this up. Don't respond to an RFI just for the sake of responding. Some companies submit their capability statement and think it's going to let the contracting officer know who they are for the future requirements. Sadly, that's not typically the case. And if this is your first time dealing with an agency, it may not cast you in a favorable light. If the opportunity truly interests your company and you believe you're capable, put the effort into your response. The impression that you make in your response, whether it's good or bad, will carry over to how your proposal response is viewed in the future. And so much of that, so much of of those points is tied to targeting. Sending out just content for the sake of content is, is, I don't want to say dangerous, but it's a waste of time. People have heard me tell stories of getting emails about some product that I don't even buy because I got on somebody's email list as a CEO. And that you're stealing my time. You're filling up my inbox. You know, now, now you're just spam, right? So that's the extreme version. Uh, the other version is, yes, you can use an RFI as, as a marketing tool if there is a need for it. But like you said, some companies are just, just I'm, I'm going to send my capability statement in response to this just because they asked for something. They didn't ask for something. They asked for a thing. They asked for a response that answers their questions. And, and 
the other takeaway from this is if you're a contracting officer and you're just asking for capability statements, you're asking for general information, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> Make sure you have a really good list, which we'll do an episode on that later of the importance of writing a good RFI. Bottom line, it, from the industry side, only respond to RFIs that are in your target market. Otherwise, you may end up just sending file fodder. Well, Stacy, we got lots of rabbit holes that we didn't go down today, so we will have future episodes <laughs> to address those. So thanks for being here, and I will see you later. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks to special guest Stacy Kulikin, and thank you for joining us today. You can also join us on the Government Contracting Podcast Network and LinkedIn. We'll see you there.